Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Wow. You guys are looking really good this morning. Some of you I know have made extra effort because it's Easter, especially down these front couple of rows. I feel thoroughly underdressed. Um, and this is smart for me, so give me some credit. But um, what we're thinking about this morning, you may have already twigged this, is, is Jesus. Jesus is the person we're singing about, and Jesus is what we're talking about. And so on that note, I have a question for you. And the question is this. Have you ever tried to bring anything back from the dead? I have. Shall I tell you about it? I have. When I was younger, when I was a little boy, um, my parents finally gave in and got me and my brother some pets. Um, You might even see, there they are. That's not actually our pets. That's just a bit of a picture of a couple of goldfish. But they gave us goldfish. And my brother called his Bubbles. And I didn't call mine Squeak. I called mine Shearer, after my favorite footballer. So you had Bubbles and Shearer. um, And they got on okay. Until... Until the day I realized that cornflakes look a lot like fish flakes. There's cornflakes, and then there's fish flakes. Cornflakes, fish flakes. Cornflakes, fish flakes. You can maybe see where this is going. Um, I, didn't, I didn't eat the fish flakes, but Bubbles ate a lot of cornflakes. <laughs> So I sort of frugally sprinkled, I thought, rich, mixed diet will be good for them. Um, Shearer, let it be known, was absolutely fine, because Shearer was like a proper Geordie bloke-like. He was no nonsense. He was absolutely fine. But, but Bubbles was in trouble. Um, and over the course of the day, we realized that Bubbles was starting to swim a little bit funny. And it wasn't long before Bubbles had turned upside down and risen to the top of the tank. And Bubbles had died. And and I thought, big brother that I am, I thought, I can rescue the situation. Hope is not lost. And so I thought, people do resuscitation all the time. CPR, that kind of thing. The kiss of fish, right? No, I didn't didn't pull out Bubbles. Cleverer than that. I went to the kitchen and I got a straw. And I brought the straw back. And I put the straw in the tank. I started to make Bubbles for Bubbles hoping that that would help. And in thinking, in hindsight, not a bad effort. If I was faced with a similar situation today, go-to would be the straw, probably. But it didn't work. Um, and in the end, we had to say goodbye to Bubbles. Um, he he set, sunk into the deep when my dad flushed him down the toilet. And that was the end of, that was the end of Bubbles. Um, and this Easter morning, this Easter morning, we're thinking about bringing things back to life bringing things from the dead to life. And we're not just thinking about resuscitation or, or CPR or kind of, you know, waking someone up. It might be doctors or nurses in the room or people who know CPR who've seen it happen. Someone who's, who's passed out unconscious but brought back. We're not thinking about that. What we're talking about here is full-blown resurrection. Dead, gone, like bubbles, dead. Upside down, floating on the tank, dead but miraculously, supernaturally brought back to life. So that's what we're thinking about. 
And I recognize this morning that I'm speaking to a mixed room of people. That some of us are in the room are Christians and have been coming to church for ages and are kind of all in and know the story and will say amen. And there are some in the room who maybe have been coming around church for a while but aren't yet all in. Maybe they don't, wouldn't say that they're a Christian yet. And there are some in the room who, who come every single week and disagree with everything that the preacher man says but some, for some reason mysteriously keep coming back week after week. And then there's perhaps guests in the room, people who are here for the first time, maybe been invited, maybe because it's Easter, or maybe because someone you know is having their child dedicated, or maybe someone you know is going to get dunked in a big pool of water, more of which later on. And so I recognize that there's lots of different experiences, and I want you to know that wherever you sit in the room, you are really welcome. And in fact, at various times, I've sat in all those different places, not literally around the room, but I've been in all those different positions. And if, if this is a bit surreal this morning, then I empathize. If it's a bit strange, and, and normally on a Sunday you wouldn't be in church, I get that, I understand. It can be a bit strange. And so my hope in the next 10 or so minutes is just to bring some explanation about what on earth is going on here. What is this all about? Why are people here singing songs? Why are some people later on going to get dunked in a tank of water? Why, earlier on, did we offer children up to God in some mythical sort of ceremony? Strange when you think about it, isn't it? Why? And, and why Easter? Why hot cross buns? And why the Easter bunny? And why Cadbury's cream eggs, even if the chocolate isn't as good this year as it was last year? Why any of that? Have you ever, have you ever wondered this? Other religions in their holidays fast. They don't eat anything at all. Christians in their holidays gorge themselves on chocolate. Christmas and Easter. Why do any of this? Well, as I said before, it has something to do with Jesus. Something to do with Jesus and the claims that he was raised from death to life. It has something to do with that. Jesus, well you might have expected me the preacher man, to talk about Jesus. Jesus, have you heard of him? Do you know him? He's, he's probably the most famous man in the world. The hottest topic of debate ever. You know, Jesus features in all religions. Did you know that Jesus was in the Quran? And so what we make of Jesus matters. In fact, I'd argue that what we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so on Easter Sunday, the day when Christians celebrate that God did something that only God could do, bringing a dead man back to life, we've heard some of the story already, the, the youth acted it out for us in the dramatic reading earlier. The story of, of the discovery of the empty tomb, the risen Jesus that first Easter morning. And so I'm going to pick up one of the different accounts, someone who was there, who followed Jesus and what he had to say. And this is the account of a man called John. John does this weird thing, as we'll read in a minute. John does this weird thing where he refers to himself in the third person. And so he is the disciple that Jesus loved. And so I'm going to read from John chapter 20. It'll appear on the screen behind me. So picture the scene. Early on the first day of the week. So it was a Sunday morning after the Friday 
when Jesus had been hung on a cross and murdered. And and the tradition was to to have three days of ritual mourning. So they would go to the, the tomb each day for three days after death. While it was still dark, so it was very early in the morning, before sunrise, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now this isn't a grave as we'd normally think of a grave. It's got a dug into the ground, six feet under kind of grave. This was a grave that was a tomb quarried out of rock. It actually belonged to a really rich man called Joseph. Not Jesus' dad, a different Joseph. And he'd given the tomb to Jesus to have his body laying in when he died. And there was this giant kind of carved disc, this stone, that took two men to roll across the entrance. And so it's in this, and it's to this, that they go to mourn his death. They go to the tomb. And Mary, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. That's John, the author. And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Which is a logical thing to think. His body was laid in the tomb, he was dead. We come back a couple of days later, the tombstone has been rolled away, the body's gone. Who's taken the body? That's the logical thing to think. Maybe it was the authorities, maybe it was grave robbers, but the body is missing. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So John's the younger, faster man, and he gets there first. But he's too chicken to go inside, he just waits. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. I like Simon Peter. When I think Peter, I think Peter K. Trust me on that one then. When I think Peter, I think Peter, kind of northern bloke, kind of no nonsense. Does that sort of dad run. You know, Peter K does that dad run where dads don't actually move any faster. I'm coming, John. Wait for me. Be there in a second. And he gets there, and John stood politely outside the tomb. And Peter goes barging out the way, lad. Let me have a look. And he goes in and he sees. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus. Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And that description is significant. It's been described as like like the chrysalis the grave clothes, a chrysalis from which, from which the body has emerged. Almost like they look at the grave clothes and they still hold the shape of the body that had been within them, but the body has gone. Like the butterfly has left the chrysalis. And the head covering, the head covering that had been around Jesus' head has been moved to one side and folded and left. It's not an obvious scene of robbery, it's quite peaceful. Finally, the other disciple, still John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. Can you imagine how they must have felt? This is their rabbi, their teacher, and they arrive on the third day to mourn, and the tomb has been opened, and the body has gone. Some doubt but some believe. Mary thinks, oh, it must be, someone has taken the body. That must be the explanation. 
But John, well, he saw and believed. And later, Jesus appears to these disciples and also to hundreds of others. But at this stage, all we see is an empty tomb. John has not seen Jesus alive and risen, but he's seen something and he believes. Which is interesting to me. I think it's interesting. Because thousands of years later, we may not see the physical risen Jesus today, you and me. We don't perhaps even see an empty tomb with grave clothes in it. Yet millions upon millions of people around the world testify to seeing the risen Jesus. Interesting. People all over the world, people in Africa, and people in Asia, and people in Australia, people all over the world testify in all the countries you could think of to having met with, encountered, been transformed by the risen Jesus. Like Owen in his story in the video we watched. Someone who was far from God, but who encountered the risen Jesus. His life's been changed by the risen Jesus. And in the stories we'll hear as people come and get dunked in this tank of water, the stories that they'll share will be of seeing and believing. I saw and I believed. And I'm going, to let, I'm going to let those stories speak for themselves. And you might think, well, that's nice for them. But what do the claims of Jesus have to do with me? It'd be fair to ask that question. And that, that, in brief, requires me to tell you another story. And this story is not about me and bubbles. It's about God. It's about God and the world that he made. The story goes that in the beginning, God made the heavens and made the earth. And God is infinite and almighty, and God made all things. That's how the story goes. And God lived with man, and they were friends. In fact, God created a garden for them to live in together. And everything was right. Mankind was at peace with God and with himself and with the world. But then, the story tells us, man turned from God. Man turned from God of his own free choice. Man chose to put himself before God. You know, all of us, all of us at one time or another have believed that our ways are better than God's ways. C.S. Lewis, the, the guy who wrote the Narnia books, he puts it like this. The issue is not that our desires are too strong, but that they are too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, he says. And so there's this issue. It's our issue, really. We're outside of relationship with God. Mankind has deserted the garden and chaos ensues. And so far, so far this is looking like a sadder story even than Bubbles the Fish. It's looking more like a tragedy than good news. 
Do you know, I'll tell you this, my, my, my brother still flinches anytime he sees a child making bubbles. We've deserted God's garden and chaos follows, but not content to leave us where we are. Not content to leave us where we are and because of his great love for us, for each of us, God sends Jesus. And Jesus is God, God in the flesh. And Jesus goes to a cross. And in the cross, this kind of amazing, mystical exchange happens. The punishment that should be ours for our rebellion against God is poured onto Jesus. Then on the third day, his followers go to, to, to mourn, to go to the tomb, and they find it empty. He couldn't have, could he? If Jesus did rise again, if he did, if, then why is it such good news? Two reasons, two reasons. If Jesus rose from the grave, then we can have peace with God. It's absolutely no coincidence that when Jesus is raised from the dead, the tomb out of which he must have walked opens up into a beautiful garden because he's restoring man to that place in the garden with God. Restoration, at peace with God. God and man can be friends again. The things that we've collected in our lives, the things that we've collected that would separate us from God can be removed through Jesus. My favorite Bible verse is this. God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's how God shows us his love. Peace with God is God-initiated. And God has made a way for you to have peace with God that isn't dependent on you being good. To which we might all say, phew. We can't earn it. And so if you come here today feeling guilty, maybe you're a fish murderer like me, then you have to hear this, right? Regardless of your actions, your behavior, your background, regardless of the addictions you might have, simply through Jesus alone, you can have peace with God. Starting to sound like good news. And you can't be too far gone. So if you were to hold this at arm's length and say, well, it's not for the likes of me, I'm not moral, I'm not religious, that's the point. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus rescues us in our darkest moments, not in our best moments. If it's beginning to sound too good to be true, then you've probably understood it. It's called grace. Second reason. If Jesus rose from the grave, then the same life-giving power that rose Jesus is alive in those who believe in him. Honestly, our anger, we're not going to be able to fix it. Our selfishness, we're not going to be able to fix it. Our lack of self-control, we're not going to be able to fix it. Because we don't have the power over life and death. Those things in our lives that we just can't shake off, we don't possess the power. We can't raise 
anything from the dead. But God can. God can, and that's the good news. That's why we, in churches all over the world, continually celebrate him, not continually celebrate us. So could it be real? Could it be true? If it's true, then it's the most amazing gift you could ever receive. So you can't blame people this Easter Sunday morning for getting a little bit excited. For later on when we sing a song called Happy Day, getting a little bit jumpy and putting our hands in the air. You might see it, you might not. Having a silly grin on their face. Go for it. If you can't get excited about it on Easter Sunday morning, when can you? I haven't seen any waving flags yet. We need to fix that. And it completely legitimizes getting dunked in a tank of water and publicly declaring and saying, I'm following Jesus. I've seen and I've believed and I want to share it with others. That's what that's about. And it makes sense of wanting to dedicate your children to God. Saying, God, this child belongs ultimately to you. To you. And it's the same, it's the same gift a gift which is unearned and undeserved and free that was embraced by John that first Easter Sunday morning. John, who saw and believed. You know, eight years ago today, I embraced it. East, at the early hours of Easter Sunday morning, 2007, I embraced it. Thought, that, that is for me. I believe. I saw and I believed. It got personal. I thought, Jesus died and rose again for me. What about you? I want to finish with this quote and challenge by the author Brennan Manning. He says this, For me, the most radical demand of Christian faith lies in summoning the courage to say yes to the present risenness of Jesus Christ. Say yes to the present risenness of Jesus Christ. What about you? Could it be true? Let's pray together, shall we? So Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. A gift to us. Thank you that that he lived and that he died and that he rose again. Lord, would you help us to summon the courage to respond to the risen Jesus? And Jesus, we thank you that you are present here today. That you're real. That you are a present reality. Would you meet with us? Amen.